Amen. You know, the, uh, what Jeff spoke about there in the prophet Isaiah prophesizing hundreds of years before Jesus and yet saying it in the past tense is what is known as the prophetic past in uh, biblical literature and in biblical uh, interpretation. That is something being spoken as, a, as though it has already happened that is yet to happen. And you find that in a lot of places, not just in Isaiah there. You find it, one of my favorite passages is over the book of Romans, and I, I, you don't have to turn there with me, but it just struck me again as, as he was reading that and talking about it a little bit. When, when Paul talks about in Romans 8, uh, 28 through 30, you know that we know verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then he... Uh, then he talks about those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, which we're going to talk about tonight. And, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, all of that is spoken in the past tense. Uh, but I really especially like that last one. Those whom he has justified, them he has also glorified. Just as Isaiah spoke about the coming of Christ and what would happen in the life and the ministry of Christ, him being rejected, him being pierced for our transgressions, those things spoken about the life of Christ. Paul, spoke, Paul speaks about what is, hap, what is happening in the life of every believer. And he says, even though the, you had not been born at that time, he's talking about you, that in the eyes of God and in the... In the in the plan of God, you who are his have already been glorified. Now, I've seen a lot of you, and you've seen me, and you don't look very glorified at this point. But in the eyes of God, you're already glorified. In the eyes of God, he already sees you through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest security we'll ever have, folks. And we'll talk about security later, but not tonight. But I want to kind of throw that at you for a moment. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. As we come to the last part of this chapter in our study on Galatians, we've been a while since we've been in this. I want to remind you that we are looking at a section whereby the Apostle Paul is talking about his confrontation uh, of, of, with Peter. Uh, Peter has been hanging around the Gentiles in Antioch, and Paul has been observing him. And, and quite honestly, Peter's been so excited about those Christians in Antioch and about you know, just having fellowship with them and knowing them and, and getting to know them in the Lord. He's, he's just, he's, he's eating pork probably. I mean, he's, he's eating off their dishes, which was not acceptable. And he's doing all sorts of things, just having great fellowship with those Gentile Christians who had come to Christ. And then some of the renowned, some of the people from James, from, from Jerusalem, they come down. And they start observing what's going on. And Peter starts playing the hypocrite. Peter starts backing away from them and starts acting like a, a, a self-righteous, pious Jew again. And he, he stops having the fellowship he was having. there. He, he stops acting like he had been acting with them. And, and Paul just calls him out and says, verse 13, in verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. The result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, the encourager, the one who encouraged everybody in the faith, 
was acting the hypocrite now and, and said, oh, well, we can't eat that and we can't touch that and we can't go into your home and do those kind of things. And so Paul just confronted him. He said in verse 14, but when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Peter... When there weren't a lot of Jews around watching you, you were happy to have fellowship with the Gentiles. But when the Jews come in, then you want the Gentiles to start acting like Jews. That's hypocrisy. That's playing the hypocrite. That's not living out the reality of the gospel. And that's what Paul's real concern is. He said, I said, you know, when I saw that they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. You know, we live in a day where the that little phrase, the truth of the gospel, needs to be pounded upon and reiterated and restated over and over and over. Because in reality, we live in a day where we have gotten confused by a lot of false gospels and by a lot of false information. And, and that's what Peter was letting happen in his own life then. We live in a day where legalism is the substitute for real Christianity. You know, I follow the rules. I live like uh, everybody expects me to live. I do the best I can. And so I'm okay. I don't do those things that other people don't think Christians ought to do. And so I must be a Christian. Maybe, maybe not. We live in a day of moralism where, where we're just really, rather than teach what the real gospel is, many churches just teach, you know, be good, be nice, be happy. And everything will be all right. I mean, look around. It's, it's just a moralism. Even in our Sunday schools, well, I'm thankful that you can't say that about the Grace Children's Sunday School. I really am thankful for that. But you go into the average Sunday school class, and you listen, and you read the literature that's been prepared for these children, and rather than tell them the truth about the gospel and truth about the word, it's basically be nice. I remember growing up having a Sunday school teacher. She meant so well. But I was a handful when I was a child. I was like some of your children. And um, I won't say whose, but I was a handful. And I remember Sunday school teachers telling me, now, Bill, they didn't say Bill. They said, Billy, now, Billy, you need to behave because you want to go to heaven, don't you? And you got to be good to go to heaven. Really? Wow. Well, that sure straightened me out for about 35 seconds. You know, I thought about that, and then I thought, well, I'm not going today, so I'll just go on and do what I want to do. You know, but moralism, we, we look at it in children, and we say that's, that's just how you have to teach children to behave. No, it's not, because that's not the gospel. We must teach our children, we must teach our youth, we must teach our adults the gospel, not moralism, not legalism. And then you've got other extremes on the other side of licentiousness or license. That says, oh, well, you know, I've been saved by grace. We'll talk about this. I've been saved by the grace of God. Jesus Christ has, has saved me, and I can, I, I'm secure, and I'm saved forever. And so I can go live like ever, however I want to. That's just as much an error as legalism is. You need to understand that. But you don't distort the gospel and continue to preach the gospel. And all of those are distortions. Listen to what Paul says when he finishes his statements here, after saying, 
Peter acted like the hypocrite. He pulled Barnabas into it and all the other Jews into it. He says in verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. You feel just a little bit of dripping sarcasm there in Peter's voice? Why, we are Jews. We're not sinners like those Gentiles, are we? Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. No person, man or woman, anywhere, anytime will be justified by the law or by doing the works of the law. It's so clear. And yet we still act like sometimes, oh, but we're saved by the law. We've got to obey the law. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 17. But if, <clears throat> while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. That is, if I go back to the old legalism, and I, that, that Paul was very much a part of. He talked about that in Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at that in a minute. Paul says, if I rebuild the old legalism that was a part of my life, and I tore it down, I destroyed it. When I came to Christ, he said, I, all things became new. You know, all that stuff, all that legalism became like rubbish and like garbage. And now I am in Christ and, and I'm a new creature. But he says, if I go back and start rebuilding that legalism, and I think, well, maybe I shouldn't do this because, you know, people might not like me or might not think I'm holy or whatever, then i got to rebuild. If I go back and rebuild the legalism, I'm just proving myself to be a transgressor. In other words, I'm proving to be the sinner that I am when I go back and try to do that. If I've been set free, remember the, the series title uh, is Freedom in Christ. If, if I've been set free... By the, by the presence of Christ, I cannot go back and rebuild that which I destroyed. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now listen to verse 20. This is powerful. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, well, listen to this, then Christ died needlessly. Christ died in vain. Christ's death was the biggest catastrophe and the biggest blunder that the world has ever seen if righteousness can come through the law. Now, folks, you got to understand what Paul's saying here. He, he's making some really strong affirmations here. He's talking about justification by faith, and not only justification by faith, but justification by faith alone. The, the great Reformation cry was sola fide, by faith alone, through faith alone alone not faith plus works not now faith plus works that works are a part of faith aren't they James makes that clear you know if you show me your faith without works I'll show you my faith with works 
Uh, faith without works is dead, no question about that. But we're talking about the subject right now, very narrowly, of justification being made right with God. One of the first things Paul shows here, there are four things that Paul shows in this passage, I want you to see very clearly. The first thing he shows is that man's greatest need is justification. You may think your greatest need is self-image. You may think your greatest need is more money. You may think your greatest need is to be smarter, if you're a student particularly, for that test next week, whatever. You may think all those are your greatest needs. I want to tell you right now, those are not your greatest needs. Paul is making clear here, every person on the face of the earth's greatest need is justification. Now, what I mean by that, it means being accepted by God. It means being declared not guilty by God. It means coming before God, who is a judge, who is a great and mighty judge, a powerful judge, a sovereign God, and being accepted with him, accepted by him, rather than pushed away. And that's only done through one way, and that's through the, the death and the burial and the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to your life by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Every person that you meet tomorrow... I don't care what they tell you their real needs are, their greatest need is justification. I don't care what they tell you they want out of life, no matter what they want, their greatest need is justification, that they might be accepted by God, declared not guilty by God, and declared, or have their bank account, if you will, declared to contain righteousness in their life. The great exchange whereby Jesus took our sins on the cross and from that cross he gave us his righteousness. We exchange that, the imputation of our sin to him, the imputation of his righteousness to us. Paul said that is the greatest need. Second thing he says here and makes clear in this passage is this. Justification is not by works of the law. You can... You can try to obey the Ten Commandments, you can try to obey the Golden Rule, you can try to obey the, the Beatitudes, whatever law you want to set up. And Paul wants us to understand that will never make you right with God. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how hard you work at it. I don't care how much other people think you're really getting there. You don't through works of the law. They don't have the power. They don't have the authority. They don't have the, they don't have the, what it takes to make you righteous. Paul, Paul, Paul felt he was a righteous man. If you remember over in Philippians chapter three, uh, chapter three, Paul said this, said, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I write the same things again to you. No trouble to me. It's a safeguard to you. Beware the dogs. Beware the evil workers. Beware the false circumcision. We are the true circumcision. Who? who worship in, spirit of, in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. But now listen to this. Putting confidence in the flesh is trying to be justified by the works of the law. He says, although I myself might indeed have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You know when the law said that a baby was to be circumcised? Do you know that? On the eighth day. So while before he could do a thing for himself, he was, he was meeting the law, okay? I was circumcised on the eighth day. Mom and dad took care of that for me. I was of the nation of Israel. Who is Israel? The 
chosen people of God. Yeah, God's chosen people from among all the nations. He reached down and chose Israel, not because they were great, not because they were smart, not because they were the, the, the mightiest nation. They were a tiny nation among the peoples. He didn't choose where he was born. He didn't do that. Thank you, Lord. You, you made me the nation of Israel. Not only that, I was the tribe of Benjamin, the holiest tribe in, the, in Israel, perhaps. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Man, when people looked at me, they said, there is a man who really knows the law and seeks to follow the law. As to the law, as a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is found in the law. Now listen to this. This is a bold statement. As to righteousness, which is found in the law, I was found blameless. That is, Paul said, when people looked at me, there was not a single person in Israel that could say, Paul, I know you broke commandment number eight. I know you broke commandment number one. You had a, you've got a God above Yahweh in your life. I, I know you stole. I know you coveted. I know you lusted. I, there, I know you committed adultery. There's nothing when people looked at Paul, and when Paul looked at himself, he said, I have a righteousness from the law, and I am blameless. Nobody, anywhere, can point a finger at me and say, Paul, you broke the law of God. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to make that kind of claim even about myself. Because I know it's not true. Paul thought it was true. Until... Verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, that is, being circumcised the eighth day, being in the nation of Israel, being in the tribe of Benjamin, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, a law of Pharisee, uh, righteousness found blameless, all that stuff, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, because that righteousness does not make me right with God, but rather that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. See what he's saying? He's saying, listen, my righteousness was nothing. My goodness, even though everybody else thought it was really great, was nothing until I met Christ. Until I came face to face with him and placed my faith in Christ and was given a righteousness that comes from God cause of the cross to my life and I was declared righteous by God. Luther expressed it this way. Luther said, I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me not what I ought to do for that is the proper office of the law but what Christ Jesus, the Son of God has done for me to wit that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. It's a great quote from Luther. He said, listen, the law will tell you what's wrong. And you can try all you want to to try to gird yourself up and obey the law. You'll never do it. So I gave up on it. I hearkened to the gospel. 
I run to the gospel. I flee to the gospel because the gospel is this, not what I can do, but what Christ Jesus has done for me. Dying, suffering to deliver me from sin and death. So the first thing you need to realize is our greatest need is justification. And justification is not by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Third thing is, Paul is saying not to trust in Christ because of self-trust. Excuse me, let me back up here. I can't read my own notes. Paul is saying that not to trust in Christ Jesus because of my own self-trust is an insult both to the grace of God and to the cross of Christ. If I trust in what I can do, I am, I am saying, I don't need Christ. I don't need the cross. I'm good enough. I can be good enough. I can accomplish this. And, and Paul is saying that's an insult to the grace of God and an insult to the cross of Christ. And he does that down in verse 21. He says, I, I don't want to nullify the grace of God for, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died needlessly. In other words, if you can do something to earn righteousness, if you can be righteous enough to be right with God, to be justified, then Christ shouldn't have died, folks. He shouldn't have gone to the cross. He didn't have to go there. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of life. It was a waste of a very young man's life. But Paul said that's the only way, justi that's the only way justification could come. It could only come by him going to the cross. Paul is saying he did not die needlessly because the grace of God and the cross is the only hope for justification before God. And then fourth, and this is really verse 20 all, we could spend all night on that. But in verse 20 Paul says, but trust in Jesus Christ and thus becoming united with him through faith is to begin an altogether new life. Listen to what he says in verse 20. This is radical. He said, for I've been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Think about that a minute. As a, as, as a church member, as, as one who professes to be a Christian, can you state, make that statement? I have been crucified with Christ. I have hung on the cross with Christ. As Christ hung there, not only did he die for me, but I died with him. 2,000 years ago, before I was ever born, because of his work, because of that prophetic past tense, if you will. I have been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. That's radical, folks. That is absolutely radical. And, and he goes on, he says, not only that. He said, and it is no longer I who live. Now, wait a minute, Paul. You're still alive. You're not dead. Oh, yeah, I'm dead. I'm dead to self, and I'm dead to self-righteousness, and I'm dead to legalism, and I'm dead to moralism, and I'm dead to licentiousness. I am dead, and I don't live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Yeah, my flesh is still alive, but I have been made new. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is a new life. I trusted Christ. I was declared righteous by God on the, and justified by God 
on the basis of Christ's work in my life, and now my life has been changed utterly, completely. That's where works fit in. They don't earn you the justification, but they flow out of the justification. I like the way Jesse Mercer said it. I don't don't have this written down, but it's burned on my mind. In his doctrinal statement, and, and we've kind of adopted some of that a little bit ourselves, some of the language in a summary of what I call a summary of the Baptist faith and message. Jesse Mercer said this. He said, good works justify us only in the sight of men and angels. Now think about that a minute. Good works justify us only in the sight of men and angels. That is, Paul said that the angels are watching us to understand the grace of God. They they don't understand the grace of God. Angels have no clue. They wish they could understand it. The only way angels can understand the grace of God because they're sinless. They're, they're in heaven with Him. They're not around. The only way they can understand the grace of God is to watch it in effect in our lives. And when the grace of God works and then works flow forth out of our life, that's what James is talking about, by the way, then angels see that's a believer. That's one who really belongs to God. And other people can see that then. It's, our, it's by our fruit that we are known. It's by our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the works that flow out. Because of, but it comes because there's an altogether new life when a person is in Christ. Paul said, you know, Peter, Peter came in and loved these Gentile Christians and then he started acting like the law was in control again. Now, I don't think Peter lost his salvation by doing that. He just lost a lot of credibility with the Apostle Paul. And probably with a lot of other Gentile believers. We don't lose our salvation if we get caught up in legalism again. Or we get caught up in moralism again if we're really in Christ. But it sure hurts our credibility. If we say, oh, the scripture won't let me do that. And the scripture says nothing about it. And we make that a, uh, make that a test of fellowship. Or a test of relationship with Christ. Or fellowship with one another. We can't do that. Scripture doesn't allow us to do that. I saw a... I saw a little graph this past week. I'm going to use it sometime. But I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's called the cross paradigm. I believe paradigm's word to use. But it showed the life going along and time going along, and then there's a point of conversion. Point of conversion, two different things take place. One is there's an increasing awareness of, of God's righteousness, of God's holiness in a believer's life. In other words, the more you grow as a Christian, the more you move toward Christ in sanctification, the more you see the holiness of God. It just becomes big. And then there's a bottom line that goes down like this, and it says the more you see the holiness of God and the more you see the, 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 the righteousness of God, the more you see the depth of your sin. Kind of makes a cone. And in, in one of the things, in one of the graphs, it shows the cross just kind of staying little all along the way through that as it's growing, just kind of a, just a little cross all the way through. And, and, and he makes the point that if, if that's the case, then you're, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. In the other graph, it shows the cross little here, and then as it, as it moves up, the cross gets bigger as the space goes. And his point is that the, the farther you move in the Christian life, the more you see the holiness of God, the more you see the depth of your sin, the more you ought to see the bigness of the cross. The cross ought to get bigger. Too many Christians think the cross is just for 
initial salvation. The cross is for sanctification. The cross helps us grow. Depending on the work of Christ on the cross is what we have to go to every day. Listen, if I'm dependent on my good works, if I'm dependent on my good attitude, if I'm dependent on my treating everybody really nice to get into the kingdom, get into heaven, I'm doomed. It's the grace of God. It's the cross of Christ. It's the gospel that really matters. Man's greatest need is justification. The only way it can be done is through faith in Jesus Christ. Be like Luther. Hearken to the gospel. Hearken, run, chase after the gospel to make that application to your life every day. Because the gospel is what saved us. And the gospel is what secures us. And the gospel is what purifies us. And the gospel, the true gospel, not moralism, not legalism, not license, the gospel is what takes us to that point of glorification. Those whom he justified, them he has also glorified in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Just come together and study your word and sing praises to your name. We thank you, Lord, that by your wounds we have been healed spiritually. Lord, by your wounds we've been given life and brought back from the dead. Father, I pray tonight your Holy Spirit will just resonate within our spirits this truth that the Apostle is talking about here. and Help us grow in it, O oh Lord. Father, again, we're grateful for what you're doing in our church. Continue, Lord, to draw us close to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.